So the church has a calendar. And uh, the calendar ebbs and flows throughout the year. In the new year, we focus on, uh, our anticipation is focused on Easter and then Pentecost, just like last Sunday. In the fall, especially in Canada, our attention is turned to how grateful we are. We think of Thanksgiving, what we're thankful for uh, in terms of our Lord and Savior. And then at Christmas, of course, we celebrate uh, Jesus coming to earth and, uh, and uh, being that, that perfect baby born uh, for us. And throughout the year, there are other events that are celebrated in churches across our country, uh, just like today, just like Father's Day. You see, today isn't a specific day carved out in the church calendar. It's just Father's Day. But for me, today carries big significance when it comes to our faith and when it comes to our church. My goal today isn't to bring uh, shame in any way to anyone, specifically our dads, but I hope that this message encourages our men, our dads, and builds them up in their faith, all right? So today, uh, there's a certain percentage uh, of people in this room who don't honestly have good memories of their fathers, uh, and that happens for a diversity of reasons. Uh, for some, just the word father is uncomfortable and is challenging for us to work through. Some of us have had fathers who failed us in significant ways, and some of us have had great fathers who've always tried their best to be good dads and do the right thing by us at all times. Uh, Jack Moore wrote a story about two teenagers. One teenager was talking to another. He says this, I'm really worried. Dad slaves away at his job, so I'll never want for anything, and so I can go to college. And mom spends every day washing and ironing and cleaning up after me. She takes care of me when I'm sick. The other kid said, so what are you worried about? And the first uh, teenager says, I'm afraid they might try to escape. Because <laughs> he's got it so good. You see, dads, there may be times when you feel like you might uh, try to escape from the responsibilities that you bear. We all have felt that way at times. Uh, the challenges and responsibilities are many, but today I want to focus our attention on two issues that form the foundation for all that you are and do as a father. That's what we're going to do today. So we're going to take a look at Psalm 78, and I'm not going to read through it, but you can open it up in your Bible, and if you don't like what I'm saying, just read Psalm 78. Uh, the psalmist addresses the crippling effect of Israel's failure to pass the baton of faithfulness from one generation to the next. That's what Psalm 78 is talking about. It says they forgot what he had done, or similar phrases are scattered throughout the psalm. You see, each generation has three primary responsibilities. If you could put this up on the screen, Val. Each generation has three primary responsibilities. Number one, to walk before God in righteousness. Number two, to persuade their peers to do likewise. And number three, to teach the next generation the ways of the Lord. Isn't that a daunting task when you think about it? Just those words on the screen. To walk before God in righteousness. That I would walk before God in righteousness. To persuade their peers to do likewise. There's never been a tougher time to persuade people to follow in the footsteps of God. And then finally, to teach the next generation the ways of the Lord. 
I've already learned uh, uh, with my own kids, it's hard to teach the next generation in the ways of the Lord. They don't always understand the same way that I do or think the same way that I do think through things. But the psalmist takes us for a roller coaster ride in Psalm 78. He takes us a roller coaster ride through several centuries of Israel's history of sin, punishment, repentance, and deliverance, and then repeat the cycle. Isn't it true? Man, I read, when I read the Old Testament, I'm like, I can't, like, this just shows how much grace God has to deal with the nation of Israel for centuries over and over. The same stupid issues. All right. The conclusion of the psalm states that God raised up a leader who led Israel into its golden age. And that leader was David. The psalm concludes by taking two statements, uh, by making two statements about David. Psalm 78, 72 says this, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands he led them. Let me read that again. And David shepherded them with integrity of heart, and with skillful hands he led them. From this verse, I want to share uh, two directives to dad, two things to dads I want to share. And uh, ladies, you could just uh, join in on the fun. I'm, I, I'm sure you could take lots away from this as well. But many books have been written on the subject of being an effective dad. If you go through a, a book, well, people don't go into bookstores anymore, I guess. Well, some do. I do. But uh, when, uh, when you're going through the bookstores, there's lots of books written about dads. If you go on, online, there's lots of books written about dads. Uh, some are great. Others belong in the trash, <laughs> just like a lot of topics. I could spend my time this morning giving you a long list of principles, but instead I want to boil it down to two fundamental directives. Psalm 78, 72 once again says, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands he led them. So here's our first, there's two points there. I'm keeping it really simple. Here's our first one. Be a man of integrity. The scripture says, David shepherded them with integrity of heart. Notice the verb, shepherded, shepherded them. It's interesting to contrast the activities of Saul, King Saul and King David, when God uh, called them to be kings. Saul was looking for a lost donkey when uh, God called him. Saul was looking for a lost donkey, but David was shepherding his father's sheep. Two very different things. You see, there's a significant difference between donkey drivers and shepherds. Donkey drivers drive. They drive with a whip. Bang, bang. Shepherds lead with a staff. <laughs> hey, I don't know. I, you guys probably have more experience with this than I do, but like when you try to move an animal, it don't go anywhere usually, right? They just like, you know. And uh, <laughs> isn't it awesome the description there? That Saul was a donkey driver. I can just picture him, man. Like you'd lose all your religious credibility. All like if you, Pastor Jay, he's such a nice guy. He doesn't say a bad word. Put me in front of a donkey and try to move that thing. Every foul word in the English language would eventually come out of my mouth if I was at it for long enough. But shepherds lead with a staff. I love that. I remember in uh, I, <laughs> one of the courses I did most well at in Bible school was leadership. And I remember the teacher told me, he said, uh, he told the whole class, he said, uh, when you're in youth ministry, you know you're an effective leader when you can get up in front of a room and people just get quiet. The youth just get quiet because you're standing there. 
And I was like, that's kind of dumb. But the point was, if you have to yell at the top of your lungs to get a room to quiet down, you need to work on your leadership skills because they're in lack. So I would test it out with a bunch of crazy kids from Toronto. And they don't, none of them would be looking at me. I'd stand in front of the room. I'd stand there five minutes, ten minutes. I didn't care. And just wait for them to quiet down because I, I promised to God I would never yell at young people. Well, at least in an angry way. I've yelled at them, but at least in an angry way. But shepherds lead with his staff. Isn't that a great principle for us men, for us as Christians, men and women as Christians, that shepherds lead with his staff? The word shepherd conquers up images of David's description of his Lord as a shepherd in Psalm 23. Psalm 23, you know it so well. 1 to 4 says, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You see provision, restoration, and protection. We must think beyond the physical to see the spiritual dimensions in which David is speaking of. Provision, restoration, and protection. You cannot shepherd your family without integrity. Here's a quote. A child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. Let me read it again. A child is not likely to find a father in God unless he finds something of God in his father. Integrity, the quality or state of being complete or undivided. Let me say it again. Integrity is the quality or state of being complete or undivided. You see, there is no discrepancy between what a person of integrity appears to be on the outside and what he is on the inside. There is harmony between words and deeds. Integrity is one of the uh, most descriptive words I like to use about my own life. What you see publicly with me is the same thing you'll see privately with me, and vice versa. There's no hidden... I, I met so many uh, ministers and preachers where they're one way publicly and then privately. They're, uh, okay, yeah, come on, I can't handle that anymore. I, you know, I want to be the same. I want to be full of integrity and fully authentic before everyone. And this David was the same way as we read in the Scriptures. You see, engineers are sometimes called upon to test the integrity of a building, right? The building may look great on the outside, but their task is to determine if it is as strong as it appears. I was in a building this week. It looked good from the outside. I went on the inside. It looked okay to me. But this building is not okay, all right, because engineers have said so. The building may look great on the outside, but their task is to determine if it is as strong as it appears. Stephen Covey uh, said this once, Integrity is fundamentally the value we place on ourselves. It's our ability to make and keep commitments to ourselves, to walk our talk. One of the greatest failures in my life is when I don't come through with the commitment I've made to someone. Whether that's my wife, my children, my parents, or any one of you. If I say I'm going to do it, then I'm going to do it. That's my goal, and I don't, I don't succeed every time. I'm not perfect, but my goal is to always fulfill my word. Integrity is, and fundamental, is fundamentally the value we place on ourselves. It's our ability to make and keep commitments to ourselves to walk our talk. Great quote. 
Observations, here's some observations about men of integrity. Jerry White said this, men of integrity keep their word regardless of the cost. That's who, what men of integrity are. They keep their word regardless of the cost. P- broken promises are a sign of a lack of integrity. You see, make your promises carefully. Too many children are growing up in single-parent homes because of broken promises. Have we not seen that in our own families, in our own neighborhoods? Men of integrity are honest in their dealings, personal and business. I think of my grandpa. He was a great businessman. He, uh, well, he still is. And uh, I think of him because he was always of integrity in both his personal and business life. Men of, uh, men of integrity practice morality in their sexual life, both in mind and body. Men of integrity admit their mistakes and change their lives for the better. That's what men of integrity do. You see, integrity does not mean perfection. It is a lack of hypocrisy. That's what integrity is. David was far from perfect. Raise your hand if you know why David was not perfect. Yes, he was. Oh, my goodness. He makes us all feel pretty good. That's why I always say. David was far from perfect. Yet his behavior when confronted with his sin is very telling. David did not deny his guilt. He did not rationalize his behavior he did not blame others when we see the full complement of Scripture. We are never more right with God than when we admit we are wrong. Richard Dortch said that. We are never more right with God than when we admit we are wrong. You see, we must guard ourselves against selective integrity. Let me explain myself. Wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't think of stealing someone's purse... But I may think nothing of using copyrighted material. Think about that for a second. I wouldn't think of stealing someone's purse, but maybe I'd think of using copyrighted material. That's selective integrity. Proverbs 20, verse 7 says, The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children after them. Think about that. This is the book of Proverbs. The godly walk with integrity. Blessed are their children after them. You see, be a man of wisdom. Be a man of wisdom. Psalm 78, 72, once again, And David shepherded them with integrity of heart. With skillful hands, he led them. Be a man of wisdom. The Hebrew word translated skillful hands means understanding or Wisdom, skillful hands translated, means understanding or wisdom. That's what the scripture is conveying to us. You see, we live in a day when knowledge is increasing, but wisdom is decreasing. (laughs) And it's been going on for a while. When knowledge is increasing, but wisdom is decreasing. Our children need more than food, shelter, and clothing. More than a generous spending allowance. More than a university education. They need wisdom. In my own life, I've seen people, whether it's my family or friends, and they are being lost to the ways of this world because of their lack of wisdom. That's why. So we need to impart wisdom. Imparting wisdom, lay a foundation of biblical knowledge. 
The greatest source of wisdom is the Word of God. The application of the Bible is the essence of wisdom. This is uh, some of the things that I believe. People would argue with me. I don't really care, uh, respectfully. (laughs) But the greatest source of wisdom is the Word of God, and its application in the Bible is the essence of wisdom. When we apply the words that have been spoken, that's the essence of wisdom. That's the essence of us being wise. While I am a strong believer in applying the biblical text to our daily lives, I also recognize that before you can accurately apply the word, there needs to be a foundational understanding of the big picture of what the Bible says. Here's a comparison. Or here's the thought. Before a surgeon is given lessons on how to perform delicate surgeries, the surgeon spends many hours studying basic biology. Thank goodness, right? Thank goodness. <laughs> Otherwise, it's some dude like me in the knife in the... Oh, are you a fish? I know what I got a fish. Okay. Our sons and daughters will never be wise unless they are grounded in the knowledge of God's word. Think about that. Our sons and daughters will never be wise unless they are grounded in the knowledge of God's word. You see, church, take advantage of teachable moments to apply biblical principles. Now, let me pause here for a second. Some of you are saying, Pastor Jay, my children are twice your age. They're, <laughs> they're old. All right? What do I do with my kids that are grown up? Here's the truth. Take advantage of teachable moments. Let me tell you something. I don't care who your kids are, how old they are. They will always come to you at some point to look for advice and wisdom. In fact, I find for many people that have kids that don't follow the ways of God, they tend to come to their parents in times of need because they trust your godly wisdom. So even if your children may seem far from God, don't worry about it. Just be there in that time of need, in that teachable moment to apply biblical principles. Deuteronomy 6, verse 5 and 7 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. Amen. What a challenge. Church, keep your eyes on the destination. Fathers, keep your eyes on the destination. You only have to be one step ahead in the journey. Some people will say to me, Pastor Jay, I'm not spiritual enough. I don't know the scriptures well enough. I, I don't know how to teach my children. I, they scare me to death. No, not, people don't usually admit that, but I can see it in their eyes. But, the, <laughs> oh, I love seeing new dads when the babies come home after a few weeks. They're just like, <laughs> oh man, crack. I was like that actually, but it just cracks me up. Uh, you only have to be one step ahead in the journey. When it comes to your children, when it comes to anyone you're discipling or mentoring, you only have to be one step ahead in the journey. When I first became a pastor, I thought, it's going to take me 40 years of pastoring before I feel like I can actually lead people. And I thought it was because I had to experience something or I had to grow so much in my faith that someday far off in the distance, I'd be in a place where I could actually influence people spiritually. 
But then a mentor of mine told me this. No, you only have to be one step ahead in the journey. That's it. That's it. That's all it takes. It seems kind of crazy, but it's true. You see, before we can impart wisdom, we must first become wise. You can't impart what you don't have. You see, receiving wisdom, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. People don't like to talk about the fact that God is ferocious. He's fiery. He's totally consumed with grabbing our attention, and he'll do whatever it takes to get our attention. There's a few people in my life that are sick right now with illnesses that are significant, and I keep on saying to Arlene or my family, I keep on saying, don't you think that God is just trying to get their attention? He's trying to get our attention. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. God's word says in Psalm uh, 119, Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. You, through your commandments, make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever with me. I have more understanding than all my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the ancients because I keep your precepts. Oh, so true. Church, fathers, find godly counsel. Proverbs 12, verse 15. I think this is on the screen. Excellent, thank you. This is a great set of three scriptures. Proverbs 12 says this, The way of a fool seems right to him, but a wise man listens to advice. How many of you had friends when you were a kid and your mom would say, uh, don't run across the road, and you had a friend, or maybe it was your sibling, and they would just run across the road, right? It's like, oh, road, boom, I'm going to go across it. Fools, <laughs> the way of a fool seems right to him, right? But a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 15, says, plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. Plans fail for a lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. Proverbs 19, verse 20, Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end you will be wise. One of the greatest things I've learned is to accept instruction. How many guys don't like to be told what to do? That's not how you tie a fishing lure onto the fishing pole. That's not how you drive a car. That's not how we build the garage. That's not how we cut the lawn, right? <laughs> Listen to advice and accept instruction, and in the end, you will be wise. I haven't had a lot of bosses in my life, but I had one. Uh, <laughs> God bless her. <laughs> And she, she was one of those ladies that had to tell you everything. Like, like, okay, pick up the pencil and write on the paper. Like that kind of like uh, instruction. God bless her. I'm sure her husband loves her. But like, it's just, she, oh my goodness. I, I, after like a week with this uh, boss, I was like, Lord, take me now. I'm undone. And, and I just got married to Arlene and she would say to me, how does your wife teach you anything? You don't follow instruction. I was like, oh, if you weren't a woman, like, my goodness gracious. Like, she just, like, she would know how to pluck the nerves in me. And I'd go home and tell Arlene, and she'd just laugh at me and no support. Oh, so this, is, this, this girl helped me. I forget her name. Oh, I have to look it up. All right. 
I think I'm friends with her on Facebook. Listen to advice and accept instruction. And in the end, you will be wise. Oh, man. Applied experience. Experience itself will not make you wise. We all know people who keep making the same mistakes. <clears throat> I always think about someone in a workplace, like uh, in the mill in our, in our town here. Who, let's say there was someone, a, a manager, who was always training people, but they're always training people to do it the incorrect way, right? That's <laughs> they may have a lot of experience in training people, but if you're always training people in the wrong way, that is bad experience. We don't want to make the same mistakes. We become wise as we learn from our experiences. <coughs> Excuse me. What happens to you is called experience. What you do with what happens to you is called wisdom or folly. Let me say it again. What happens to you is called experience. What you do with what happens to you is called wisdom or folly. You either take your experiences and learn from them, or you take your experiences and you make it worse. Finally, we look to the Holy Spirit. Isaiah 11, verses 2 to 3 says this, And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. You see, the same Spirit is available to us. Excuse me. Before leaving the Last Supper to go to the cross, Jesus promised his disciples that he would send the Holy Spirit to teach and guide them. He described the Holy Spirit as the counselor. And that's what we read in Scripture. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. You see, fathers, what do our children most need from us? They need us to be men of integrity and men of wisdom. Both flow out of a life that is fully committed to God and fully empowered by his Holy Spirit. Excuse me, apparently I'm done. I have one story for you and I'll close in prayer. A man and his young son were climbing a mountain. They came to a place where the climbing was difficult and even dangerous. The father stopped to consider which way he should go. He heard the boy saying behind him, Choose the good path, Dad. I'm coming right behind you. Choose the good path, Dad. I'm coming right behind you. Dr. J Dr. James Dobson fasted and prayed one day a week for his children. If Dr. Dobson, one of the world's foremost experts on child development, needed to pray, how much more do we need supernatural enablement to fulfill our roles as dads?